Welcome to the Coach's Edge podcast dedicated to teaching, sharing, and learning the game. Thanks for jumping in today on this Triple T episode, Two Tip Tuesday. And as we get ready for our summer camp tour, our, our run of basketball camps, where we run solid from June 6th all the way through the first week of August, running basketball camps in different locations for different basketball programs, open camps where anybody can come from any school, any state. You know, we have kids that travel from out of state to come to our camps. It's awesome. It really is awesome. I'm fired up about it. And on this two-tip episode, I wanted to share why I still believe and while I still teach one on O. And I know a lot of people do this. I know a lot of you know, basketball development and training, those people do it. But there's also the whole other side of it from the, the coaching side where it's becoming more and more common not to teach anything one-on-o. And so I just want to explain a little bit of my stance on that, of why I still believe in one-on-o, and then talk in part two of this episode on triggers, timing, and how we can start to, we should emphasize that more as we get into a, a summer basketball uh, gameplay, especially. So two different topics in this specific episode. But why do I still truly, truly believe in one on oh? And I'm going to give you three good reasons why. Uh, but the number one reason, especially in the summertime, especially out of season, you know, and I'll never forget just how many times my JV basketball coach, Aaron Fernald, would always say, Stevie, he'd call me Stevie, Stevie, players are made in the summer. Players are made in the summertime, right? He would always, always say that to me. And he's right. He's right with the point that if you really want to be good at anything, you have to put in time when other people are not putting in time. You have to put in time when there is no one else around to even put time in with. And that means doing things one on oh. Again, I've said it before in different episodes. I grew up on a dirt road in the rural thumb of area of Michigan where there was my parents' property surrounded by a field on these three sides. We had a dirt road, and on the other side was a woods and a field. Who was I going to play with? I'm five and a half years older than my next closest brother, right? So he was just getting in the way, right? And, you know, yeah, I played some against my dad, but my dad had a job. He's at work. So in the summertime, you get up, you go outside, and you play basketball on your own. And guess what? You do that every single day. You can get really good at playing basketball, right? So the importance for me as a coach in teaching players one-on-oh is to be able to give them the blueprint so that now they can go to their house, to their driveway, early in the morning to the gym when nobody else wants to wake up, but they go anyway, and they can get a better idea of the skills to work on in those situations, what to practice, how to practice them, understanding the the why, the when, giving them the situation when we're at one of the one of these camps, right? The game situations of what that would actually look like, so that it means a lot for them to now put that into place and practice those skills one on one when they're on their own when no one else is around. Because I think we can get confused, you know. And I'm a big you know podcast listener. I list some probably the major some of the major basketball podcasts that you others may listen to, and. I've heard some amazing coaches that I respect a lot. And I, I agree with a lot of their situations on, Hey, we don't practice on air. We practice against bodies, whether that's guided practice, randomized practice, going live, small side of games. I do all of those things. I love it. Right. hundred percent. Your practices don't need to look like 
a basketball camp. Your camp doesn't need to look like your basketball practices. During the summer, during basketball camps, it's all about how can we get these individual players to improve their game. And for me to go beyond that and say, it's not just about how much better can we get them during their time here, but what are the takeaways that they're going to have from attending a basketball camp and now they apply on their own when they're in their driveway, when they're in their garage, when they're in their basement working on their ball handling skills, whatever that that might be. And to give them the tools of how they can continue to improve their basketball skills when no one else is around, that means they are going one on oh. And you can get better at the game going one on oh. If the only time you worked on your game is when other people are around, how are you going to elevate yourself beyond what those people are doing? Right. It's just like anything else in life. The only time you're working out is when everybody else is working out. How are you going to separate yourself from the competition? Whether that competition is your actual competition, whether the competition is your teammates, you're trying to earn more playing time. You have to be willing to put in the work on your own in the driveway, baby, in the driveway. So that's one of the big things that we try to teach with Kramer basketball camps is to give athletes a better idea and a better blueprint for some of the things that they can work on when no one else is around to continue to improve their game. A lot of that is footwork, a lot of that is finishing, a lot of that is ball handling, shooting, but focusing on the minute, small details of the game that will apply, given some of those micro advantages in a game, and to be able to show that in a way, say that you don't need anybody else around. You can still get better. What a beautiful thing that is. That's why basketball is one of my favorite sports is because it's the combination of team and individual. It's a team sport. We win as a team, we lose as a team, but at the same time, an individual player can have a dramatic impact on the outcome of that game. And one of the ways that you can have a dramatic impact on the game is one, because you are putting in the work on your own. I'll give you an example kid named Mason Brandt. He's got a full ride scholarship to the University of Finley next year. Phenomenal player out of Northwest Ohio. He puts in so much time on his own, working on his shot, working on his handle, working on his finishing. Guess what? It's paid off, right? He was an elite high school player. He's going to have a successful college basketball career. He's got his college paid for. He would not be that player if he wasn't willing to get in the gym shoot hoops in his driveway when no one else is around, right? You make, you make yourself into a successful player. He's done it, but you have to be willing to go one on O. Now, one of the other reasons that I think one on O is really effective is when you're trying to break down something brand new for a player, right? Especially for a young athlete who doesn't know, right? Think of even a first grader, a third grader, someone who doesn't know what, a good hand position on the basketball is, or what a stance looks like, or how to dribble the basketball yet, right? You throw a defender in there, they're gonna block their shot every time, they're gonna steal the basketball every time because at a young age, it's easier to play defense than it is to play offense, right? Because offense is so much more skill. So to be able to take that defender out and teach a player how to make a layup, shoot it off the backboard how to dribble the basketball up and down without somebody stealing it from you every single time allows us to be able to teach how you can do a specific skill or perform a specific skill, right? And we can get a lot of growth and improvement in there. And then, yeah, we start to add in the defensive players. It's just like at our basketball camps, just because we're teaching them one-on-one drills, 
and we're going one-on-oh. Are we not doing guided practice? Yes, we're doing that. Are we going live one-on-one? Yes. Are we going small-sided games? Yes. Are we going three-on-three? Absolutely. We're doing all of it, right? We're doing all of it. But I think that there's extreme value in being able to use layers, use progressions, being able to build up in different situations. And sometimes that also means being able to break down. I mean, there's times where we'll run camp and we'll have kids in a game situation. We'll play, we'll look at it. Okay, hey, let's peel some things back. Let's take the defense out for a little bit, right? And let's just walk through what this specific move or what this drive and kick or this lift out of the corner might look like. All right, you see that? You feel that? You see how that would be beneficial in the game? Okay, let's go back, put it in a game situation. We'll try to try to get that done again. Um, so there, there's huge benefits from going without defense or going against the air when you're trying to implement something that a lot of times is brand new for certain players but it even has benefits for the advanced player. Say, why the advanced player? They're already really good, right? Should we just go, go live right away? Yeah, you can start to add the body and the guided practice and some of the random and, and the, and the you know, decision-making skills to it faster. But even for the advanced player, I've noticed that the, the high-level players, really great at visualizing the game. And so you can give them something, a new, a new move, a piece of footwork, for example, like an in and out move. We were working on this with a, a former college player. In and out move. And a lot of times when you make the in and out move, so if the ball's in my left hand and I make the in and out to the middle of my body, so to the right, and you jab at the same time with it to get that defender to freeze or to lean, and then you in and out back to the left and you drive, right? So we were working on making this in and out move, but then hesitating. So you make the in and out move, ball comes back to the left and then jabbing to the right, right? So now there's misdirection. Ball went one way, came back out, body jabbed another way. And so now you really put the defensive player in a decision-making position because are they going to follow the in and out back to the left or are they going to fake and go with the body that just fake to the right? And we time these at different points. Right. So a lot of misdirection with the body and the ball here. And so we broke down with him one on oh, right? We sh showed him the move, visualizing, breaking down the situation in the games. You're coming down in transition. Here it is. We're in and out. And then we're going to hesitate with a with a jab opposite. And then you can go. Defender bites on it, cross. All right, makes sense. I can see in his mind visualizing. All right, let, let me walk through this real quick. Went about half speed going through, half speed. Okay, let's pick it up a little bit, about 75% speed, in and out, jab opposite, in and out, jab opposite, in and out, jab opposite. Okay, now let's go full speed. All right, so now we're going full speed. Okay, now throw the body in there. Okay, now let's make you, you know, put you in a decision-making position. You're going to make that move. If I stay with the ball, you cross, right? If I stay with the body, you push it through and go. Right. And so for advanced players, there's still benefit to going one on oh, you might be able to progress a lot faster through all of these different progressions, but still a lot of benefit. And those players do a great job of being able to visualize the game. So the reps that they're getting in, uh, I really believe are, are very, very accurate and applicable because they know what they need to do to improve to be able to get something down. And then, they're, yeah, they're ready to try it out against, against the body. So I still believe in teaching one-on-all. I believe it wholeheartedly. Um, I've heard all the 
arguments for not doing it. And for the majority of them, I agree with the reasoning that coaches give for why you shouldn't go one on own. I just don't think you should do that all the time because you're taking away a great advantage for players to get better when no one else is around. And at the youth young level, when kids really are new to the game, they don't even know the mechanics of a shot, dribble, jab, pivot. Uh, I think throwing out too many things at them can take away from what's the one thing that you want to focus on and get better at. Okay. Hand placement, follow through, um, you know, jabbing, being able to rip the basketball, dribbling the ball with your left hand, as simple as that on the move with your left hand, being able to put a defender in there too early, I think can have some negative effects. It can lead to kids, you know, not seeing the success that they want to have. And when you see kids have some success, when you see that ball go in, even if there's no defender around, when you're able to dribble the basketball, you know, 10 times in a row going really fast, you build some confidence, you build some excitement, right? You get some of that, that was positive, you know, kind of endorphins going, going through, you're feeling good about the work that you're putting in. And so now you want to put in more time, right? And then you want to try some new things out and go against defenders. And so we do all of it as far as the instruction types that we work on. We do block practice. We do random practice. We do one-on-oh, we do guided reps, we do random, we do small-sided games, advantage-disadvantage, we go live play, all of those different things. And one of the reasons that we do that, and again, I got, I have a background in education, and I'm not saying that's like this masterful certification that I have, but knowing at an early age that I wanted to teach and being around, you know, just think about when you were in school, how did you learn best? And it may have been different than the kid that was next to you and how they learned. Uh, you went to certain classes, kids picked up things faster than others. Uh, sometimes things clicked for you, but it was at a later date and when it seems like things clicked for another student. And so I'm a firm believer in offering different types of instruction because kids learn differently, right? It's also some of the benefits of, you know, a small group workout versus individual workout. Like some kid may need some extra time and, and some communication from an individual instruction standpoint. Um, but the majority of kids, they're probably going to learn a lot when you're not talking to them, but you're, they're hearing the conversation you're having with somebody else and they see somebody else go through and get a rep in. And then they watch them and they figure out, Oh, what are they doing? Well, what are, what are they struggling with? How does that apply to me? Uh, there's a lot of benefits to doing things like that. And so offering different types of teaching, instruction, and drill types, I think is huge, huge, huge for players. So that's one, all right? That's one on two tip Tuesday, all right? Number two is, and I'll make this one faster, teaching timing with your players during the month of June when you're playing in your game. So maybe you have like a basic motion or something, and I'm big on letting your players just play, letting them play. But being able to emphasize with your players as they're getting in some of their scrimmages and their gym time, being able to emphasize the importance of the action followed by the read and making sure that those are timed well so that your offense can be successful or your defense, you run a trap, rotations, whatever that might be. For example, I was working with, uh, I went to a high school basketball practice, one of many this, this winter, and I was watching the team run through some of their stuff, right? And this was it live, right? We're going, they were going half court playing. And kid has a, a ball screen on the right side of the court. 
And then there's a wide pin down happening on the left side of the court. And so what I saw was four players that were involved in this specific action. But the timing of both of these actions on either side of the court was way off. So even though the cut and the screen, um, what would be the weak side, you would say was correct. The timing was so far off, they had, they'd set that screen and come off it before the player who actually had the basketball was able to come off of that ball screen, be able to make the read as far as where their defender is, where the help side defender is, right? Where the, where the hedging defender is on, on the ball screen to be able to make a pass, shot, attack it, whatever it might be, there was no timing to it. And so to emphasize the trigger. So what's the trigger in this situation? It would be where the ball handler is coming off of the screen, right? And when that action or trigger is occurring, that triggers something else to happen out on the court. And so the timing is huge for that weak side pin down screen to occur and try to come off it at the same time that that ball handler come off can come off and actually get the basketball to you or see the, the screen and then, okay, they're rolling and dive into the basket and then come off the ball screen and hit that person going to the rim or popping out for the three after they're coming off of the screen. And if it happens too early, it's over before it's really begun. If it happens too late, right? Defense is able to read it. They're able to set and they're able to say, okay, there's a ball screen here. We got that. There's an off ball wide pin down here. We got that. But to be able to time it correctly, I mean, that's what good offenses do, right? If you watch the Golden State Warriors in, in the playoffs, they do such a good job moving without the basketball. The timing is really, really good as far as the strong side and the weak side of when some of the triggers take place with the basketball timed up with when is that off ball action going to take place, whether, you know, it's it's players even switching spots on the weak side and the corner and the wing, whether there's a screening action and into a cut or a slip, popping back out to the three, whatever that might be. We need to make sure that we do a better job of not just teaching our players what are the locations and the spots and the actions that we want to have, but to time it up with the trigger. Where's the basketball, right? If it's a DHO, when that DHO happens, boom, that should trigger the defense to have to pay attention to the ball, an action and a decision that are taking place. And that's when, boom, we also have an action going on on the weak side so that the defense is really in a tough spot. Offensive player coming off the handoff, you need to make a good decision on whether to drive it, whether to pull it, whether to kick it, who to get the basketball to because they're able to read their defender, you know, the screener's defender, that help side defender in rotation, and then make the play. And if you don't emphasize that, your kids may be working really, really hard and they're trying to do the right thing, but without the timing piece of it, we're really, really going to struggle. So make sure that you're emphasizing that as you get into your summer basketball and your decisions that could make the world a difference in your offensive execution. So that's your triple T for two tip Tuesday. Why I still believe in teaching one on one and making sure that your players are using the triggers timing correctly to make your offense more successful. Thank you for listening. We appreciate you guys. If there's anything we can do for you, let me know. As always, get after today.